Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and that sometimes messy thing we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit Milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit PhotographersEdit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, we're back for another episode. Uh, I'm joined by Rakita Henderson today. And Rakita, we managed to uh, step beyond technical difficulties. We're back on. <laughs> Thank you for hanging out with me today on the Boca Podcast. Anytime. Happy to be here. Well, and I was saying this the first time we tried that I really love, there's a couple of things actually that I really like about hanging out with you. And we've had the chance to connect at a couple of conferences, a cookout conference. And Mm -hmm. I've had the opportunity to observe you, first of all, at these conferences, and you have this amazing desire to serve. It seems like you're always around wanting to help somebody, whether it's a speaker or somebody needs a chair. You're, you're just constantly moving and the focus is on serving. And you don't see that a lot from people. Where does that come from? My grandma uh, has always told me that I was a steward. Um, I mm. was raised in a very stewardship mindset. Okay. And I find a lot of joy in helping people in general. I just feel like people are happier and more open when there is anybody who they feel like has their back in any small little way. Yeah. Um, it, it, it helps people open themselves up to life in general in any kind of way. So it's always been a, a, a thing in my family and a thing in my life that if I can be the helper, then I'm happy to. And by helping them, then you're saying that, that people tend to open to you? Not necessarily open to me. Like, okay. sure, open to me, sure. But um, I don't I don't necessarily feel like up until recently, I wasn't necessarily offering anything that I felt like people needed to be open for Hmm. at conferences in particular. I feel like people have to feel safe in order to get what they need to get out of a session, out of a teacher, out of a space. Yeah. And whether that speaker is making them feel safe or the people around them are making them feel safe. I think that, that that is a, integral part of conference going. And it makes me feel um, good to just help people. I'm just happy to be of service to people in most, most of the time. My husband, <laughs> most of the time, um, my husband is um, always saying that that's the thing that he likes the most about being married to me is that I am just generally looking for ways to make whatever space I'm in better, whether it's for an individual person or mm. for the entire group or yeah. like our home or like just in general, everything can be made better. You just got to figure out what you, what little thing you can do to do. It. Yeah. How to help. I, well, I have mm-hmm. to, again, major props to you because um, okay. I, I just, I have a lot of respect for it and it's cool that you go beyond just talking about the desire to serve. You actually do it. And I've seen this and, and it's, not overwhelming in a bad way. It's overwhelmingly just present. When you're at a conference, you're there and you're helping. 
And it's a beautiful thing. And it's a great example for me and for others. So thank you for that. The other thing I, I want to bring up as well that I'm, I'm really impressed about regarding your personality is that you're, you have this way about you that's very matter of fact, yet straightforward. It's not combative in nature, but you say what you think. And that's refreshing. I, I like that approach that, that you take toward life. Where does that come from? Life is too short to, to pitter-patter around. I've been a bit of a social justice activist, uh, at very least a social justice talker um, yeah. for about six or seven years. Okay. You learn really quickly that you could waste a lot of time trying to make things easier to swallow for people. Hmm. And it doesn't really work. So a lot of times I feel like it's just a matter of necessity that we just need to get to the thick of things quickly. Just in general, I don't feel like, like you can still be compassionate and empathetic and warm and available and open yeah. without all of the fluff. Like we don't need the <laughs> fluff for that. Yeah. Like I, you, I can talk to you and know, and you can understand that I want the absolute best for you, but we don't have to sugarcoat that. Let's just get to that. Like there, there's no, the sugar's unnecessary. That's, but that's really interesting. I, I think I 100% agree with you. If if the conversation has a premise or an understanding as a premise that you have the other person's best interests in mind, that 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 then enables or creates room for more direct conversation. The problem these days is it's easy, and I mean I've certainly been guilty of it. People take things personally very very quickly. They kind of put their own baggage on the conversation and and then you know project onto that or or allow themselves to be offended on a very personal level without just kind of keeping an open mind and being open to conversation, the possibility of change or growth or otherwise. How how can we how can we all make an effort to to keep an open mind for the sake of those conversations? I think that's just a natural human response. Hmm. And everybody you like for the vast majority of conversations um difficult conversations that i have i know that i'm gonna have to like the time that i'm not spending on fluff i'm gonna have to spend going past your defenses Hmm. like it's what which one do i want to do like do i want to be fluffy and surface or do i want to get past the defenses and get to something real and so i would rather spend my time on that i know that i'm gonna have to do it i know that it's part of the process in having hard conversations and it's Something that you you just have to practice being able to do without giving up. Like most of the time, conversations break down because somebody gives up. Like literally, somebody decides that the conversation isn't worth having anymore. Yeah, and they and it dissolves into personal attacks or insults or um, any number of things. For me, that line normally takes about two days to get to in social media life, like yeah, yeah. in the course of a social media conversation, it takes me about two days before I'm like, okay, look, I'm done. We've, we're talking in circles. You will not hear me. I, I'm done. Sure. Your average person that takes about four hours. Like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's, like, yep, yep. it's like you go back and forth three or four times and somebody's like, well, you're just stupid or this is dumb. And it dissolves quickly. The vast majority of conversations that I have, if I'm willing to, let walk with the person through their defenses, we can get to a a genuine quality conversation. It's just a matter of deciding that I'm willing to walk through your defenses with you. 
And to that point, one other question, because this is very fascinating to me. How do you approach it, especially with somebody that you don't know personally, who would more naturally trust your intentions, your motives, and be open to more direct style of conversation? How do you, I don't know if we should say break down someone's defenses that you don't know, but how do you approach a conversation in a way that enables you to get past just you know focusing on being politically correct, but actually getting to the conversation while also communicating to them that you do have their best interests at heart? I ask a lot of questions. Like I, I'm always repeating information back. I want to make sure that I understand and I talk to them through my understanding of their point. If somebody says something to me, I will say it back to make sure that I heard it. A lot of times you'd be surprised what people don't realize they said until somebody says it back to them. Mm. Like, this is the thing that you said. This is what I heard. Yeah. Am I hearing that correctly? And they will go, well, no, that's not what I meant. Um, what I often want to say and don't is that words mean things. You have to use the words that you mean. Oh, my word. Yes. That 100%. <laughs> I, I, still, I still wonder this. And I know this is totally not realistic, but like in an ideal world, why is it that we can't actually use dictionary definitions of words when we communicate? Wouldn't it simplify it be relationships? so much easier. Yes. <laughs> so much easier. So uh, I, I learned a long time ago that when you tell people words mean things, they get offended. So um, <laughs> yeah, they're like, no, they just mean what, what I want them to mean. I mean, that's it, right, whether they say no. that directly or not, that's just kind of the, the way that people approach conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so I, I make a, a concentrated effort to be open to and assuming the best in people and being open to what they have to say and pushing them past their comfort. Um, And if you do that slowly, most people don't realize that they're going past their comfort. Mm. It's just a matter of pivoting the conversation just a little bit at a time. So what you're saying is this. And so what I'm getting out of that is that, well, no, what I mean is this, but what you said was this, how do those two things equate? And they, like just working people through a conversation. It's not normally um, super hard because when people feel like you assume the best in them, they're yeah. willing to have a conversation with you um, beyond like they will assume the best in you. Like it, it's literally a matter of empathy and being able to give what people give you. So if I give people a lot of empathy, they give it back in the course of the conversation. That's good. Yeah. Set the tone that I, I love that we started off our conversation with nothing photography related, all about <laughs> relationships and life. And of course, the reality is this translates to, way, to the way that it we engage with, yeah, with our it clients. But I, I really appreciate you sharing your perspective. And I have a lot of respect for the way that you approach life. And, and it's great to get your take on that. And we should say that you are a photographer. Um, and am. what market are you based in, Rakita? I'm in St. Louis, Missouri, land of uh, of arches and wrappers and flat cracker pizza, but, you know, <laughs> toasted rives. That's know. a combination I don't think I've ever heard before. That's pretty great. Yeah, it's a, it's a great, it's a great, I told somebody the other day, it's the best of the worst cities ever. So it's awesome. It's a great place to live and raise kids though. Well, let me ask you this, because I'm not really mm-hmm. familiar with the St. Louis market, at least with regards to photography. Is it like so many other markets in the U.S. right now where it's quite crowded with photographers? Oh God, yes. Okay. Um, uh, there are a million photographers here. Everybody knows ten. Like everybody knows ten photographers. Yeah. But I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. Well, um, but it also, I mean, this this kind of plays into something that we talk about a lot here on the podcast, which is brand position, the significance of brand position. 
um, in order to enable a photography brand to stand out? Because there are a lot of photographers and there is a lot of just digital noise these days. And of course, mm -hmm. one of the questions is how do we stand out amongst that so-called noise? So I'm curious on your take with your brand, what is it that makes your brand, your photography brand unique? What is your brand position in that market? My commitment to print is um, something that makes me very different from a lot of photographers. Mm. I am absolutely committed to printed images. Uh, I'm kind of old school in a lot of ways. I'm, I've got a lot of new school in me, but um, when it boils down to it, being a photographer to me is the art of making a photograph. Mm. Digital art is beautiful and lovely and a wonderful thing, but if you don't print it, are you really a photographer? Did you really create a photo? Wow. Um, that's that's a pretty strong statement. Where, where does that come from? I feel like in this wonderful world of digital art, which is absolutely valuable and absolutely has a place, we have come full circle in the world of people valuing digital art, especially on the portrait end, people valuing digital art over printed art. I think we've come full circle. We, are, we have entered the the generation that where everybody has lost a cell phone that had important images on it. Everybody has lost a hard drive. Everybody has broken a computer, like crashed, like done something and lost data. Yeah. Like everybody has had that particular point in the, in their life where we're coming full circle where people are like, well, what could I have done to circumvent that? And sure. I could have backed my computer up more. Sure. I could have, back my phone up, but more and more people are taking up the cause of printing their pictures. There are more and more services that print photos off of your phone, print photos like on a subscription level where people can monthly get their Instagram feed sent to them printed. And it's coming full circle again, where every, like the world, life is circular. Everything comes back to itself. There's nothing new under the sun. Isn't that so funny we, how that works? Mm -hmm. So yeah. we've gone through that whole where everybody wants to be able to share it instantly. And those same people are now thinking, yeah, that's nice. I want to share it, but I still want to be able to print it. Yeah. Well, I, I think it, it's interesting to see, this is a, a beautiful example actually of how to pivot in the market. When, when the majority of the market tends to lean toward digital, there is an opportunity for businesses to step in and offer services that offer a physical product. Mm -hmm. And and to that very point, you are setting yourself up to do just that there in the St. Louis market. I'd love to see plastered on the you know above the fold on your homepage the St. Louis print photographer or something like that because I think yeah. it would it would really be a cool distinction immediately to create that distinction in, in the mind of your client or potential client. But further down on your homepage, and by the way, for those of you listening in, you can see Rakita's website if you go to and Rakita is it pinks it or pinks it? It's pinks it. It is pinks it's it Latin. photo. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Oh, do explain. It's Latin for she created. So pinks it photo is she created photos. Oh, that's so cool. I, I should have asked yeah. you about this before. That is so cool. Oh, no, it's okay. All right. I, so um, I've used it forever since I was like 19. That is really, really interesting. Well, pinksitphoto.com. Of course, we'll link to this in the show notes for everybody listening in. But on, further down on your homepage, you say you are a pinksit couple if you believe love is something you can hold on to, aka your grandkids won't be on Facebook. And, and then you, you say further, your intention is to use your wedding images to tell your family story to your grandbabies and theirs and so on. Your wedding album is the perfect way to enjoy your images now and into the future. 
as much as we love social media, and we do, don't be like the chick who only put her wedding images on MySpace. We're excited to create your love storybook. And that, that so beautifully sums up what you're about. And that actually sets us up, uh, or at least sets me up to, to tell our listeners that we're going to dig into the way that you think about album sales, uh, because this is something that I know you're pretty passionate about. And uh, yeah. I think maybe have a little bit of a different take on than maybe the average photographer. So we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But tell me, first of all, from your experience as a photographer, and how long have you been in business at this point? Um, I've been full time for 11 years, 12 years in March. Awesome. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Your experience, what has been the biggest lesson during that 11 or 12 years that you have learned as a photography business owner? Ooh, my biggest lesson that people don't know what they want. <laughs> um, it's true it's true <laughs> people don't know yeah they think they have a general idea but people don't know like i i can't i can like almost all of my clients at some point have like they come in and they talk about what they think they want okay and then at the end when we're sitting down and we're talking about what they want to build out of their service it's completely different than what they said at the beginning like clients who didn't want an album magically now they want an 80 page book <laughs> yep. wanted like all they wanted was albums. They weren't interested in wall art. Now they want a 20 by 30, you know, piece of wall art. Like people, like people's wants change. I feel like, I think value is something that photographers lean on and clients lean on want. Hmm. What, what do you mean more specifically by that? In every workshop, every pricing module, everything that somebody teaches you, we talk about value, building value in our packages, building value in what we offer to clients or we offer in a valuable experience. Yeah. Uh, we're all about value. I am of a firm belief that people buy what they want. Value, I think, plays a part, but not nearly as big a part as business owners want to think it does. Like what value really is there in a high heel shoe with a red sole? Like, let's be real. Like it's a shoe. And it's a beautiful shoe. I love red bottoms. If I could walk in them, I would own 10 pair. But <laughs> not because I think that they have some intrinsic value over a shoe with a blue bottom. Interesting. I just want the red bottom shoe. Yeah. Like it's a want. There is nothing valuable about that want other than the want itself. Hmm. So the idea that clients are looking at our work and thinking that's a great value isn't, I don't think it's accurate. I think they look at our stuff and go, I want it. Hmm. I want the experience. I want the album. I want her personality. I want that. Not so much that I think she's the best value amongst the people who I interview. I don't think like, I don't think that that is, um, especially once you get up past that three to $5,000. range. Yes. Yes. I think value becomes less, much less of a conversation and more of a, a byproduct. hundred percent. Yeah. And that's interesting that you mentioned that range specifically because, and this is something I've shared in the podcast before, but I know the 2000, 18 numbers. And I think 2019 is going to be regular or relatively close. Mm-hmm. Um, about 70% of wedding photography is done for about $2,000 and less. Yep. And then the next 10 to about 15% or so of wedding photography uh, is done for two to four. And then above mm-hmm. that four range, you're, you're dealing with, you know, five to 10% or so of the market. And that's the, the top end. And you're right at that price point, you're dealing with pot- potential income levels from your clients that, set aside the need for value. And, and it is much more about what they want, whether that's mm-hmm. to try to impress their friends or to get the coolest photographer in town or whatever it is. But uh, yeah. that's a really interesting take. I, and really, this could be a podcast episode in and of itself. Maybe we can do that sometime. <laughs> but I am curious, 
when you talk about understanding or realizing that your clients don't know what they want, how do you then land on that in order to most effectively sell to them? So I target a more um, luxury minded client. Okay. I don't necessarily think that that is price driven. Like there are, uh, I use like um, when I'm talking to other photographers about want levels, we talk about brands like Coach and Louis Vuitton and Kate Spade and shoot even car brands, um, Bugattis and, and, and so forth. Yeah. A lot of folks who invest in those purchases are not doing so out of a a traditional income ability to do so. Like if you look at who, like in my experience, looking at who your average coach bag carrying woman is, your average coach bag carrying woman is not someone who should by all traditional means be buying an $800 purse. Like she had to save for that. She had to make a a conscious decision. She wanted that bag. She was going to get that bag. Interesting. She's going to carry that bag. And I just, so knowing that those luxury purchases are moved more so by desire than by reason, like then it makes it easier for you to market if you're marketing to people's desire than you are to reason like like to be completely honest there's no reason target should exist if walmart is next door Hmm. like walmart beats target on damn near every price point possible right yeah like if you go into a target you're going to pay 10 to 15 percent more than you would at the walmart next door right but you're going in because you like the prettier lights you like the pretty displays and it's worth the experience um, it, that you desire is worth more than the cheaper price next door. I even like the shopping carts that don't make as much noise. Yeah, they're big in plastic. <laughs> yeah, and like you know uh, the whole spiel. And yeah. so everything about a Target is designed to appeal to people's desire for better, for more, hmm. for like just for better. And so my brand is built on the idea that your average photographer is does not care about how they present an album, how they present photos. Like even if they print, they're not presenting them in the same manner. And with like my studio is built on the idea that you want to feel good about the money that you spend, that you want to enjoy the process of spending the money. Interesting. Oh, I, I, this really is actually a podcast episode in and of itself. We may have to come back to this another time. I, again, I, I really, I really, really appreciate your perspective. All right. So time, time is an interesting point of conversation, especially when, well, first of all, you have a business obviously, but then you have family yeah. as well. And you're trying to balance family life, personal Ooh. life and a business. Uh, is there, is there a particular thing that enables you to do this, like a workflow tip or trick that maybe you can share with our listeners? I think that I, kind of have come to a point where I have um, accepted the idea that there is no such thing as balance. Okay. That for me to be good at one thing, I'm going to have to suck at another Hmm. and I'm just going to have to be okay with that. I am a mom. I have three kids. I am happily married. I am a, I have a wonderful crew of friends. Um, I am an active daughter. I am an active sister. Hmm. I have a lot of relationships that I balance. And I know that when I am on my game about being the best business owner that I can be, that those relationships are going to suffer. I am going to suck as a mom. I'm going to be the wife that is less attentive. 
I know that I won't call my mom as much as I should. I won't get over there for to visit as much. I know all of those things are the case. My family is well aware that October is not the month where you should expect me to be in like super available. Yeah. I shot 24 out of the 31 days last month. Oh my goodness. So they, so they should know like it's not going down, but being honest and clear about, you know, the things that I have to do, yeah. I'm utilizing the tools that I have. Like I use Dubs Auto. Um, if I'm saying that correctly, I never know how to say those. The, I, I the, think that's right. Uh, I am horrible at pronunciation just so we can get that out there. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, I think that's right. And shout out to Dubs Auto. Yeah, um, I use them in their workflow as much as I can. I use a lot of like social media tools so that I can not be as online as people think I am. Hmm. I set up a lot of auto responders and auto, um, well, not so much responders. I don't like to use auto responders for email, but I do use a lot of auto, auto posting okay. in social media and so forth so that I don't have to spend that hour or two managing those relationships online. Is there a particular um, tool that you like for automating the posting? Um, I use a tool called Jarvie. Okay. It's a PC based tool. Like I, I am a PC and a Mac person. Ah. I am the least brand loyal <laughs> photographer. I, I know. You just do what um, works. I use what works. Yeah. I'm literally, I have all three camera systems in my studio right now. Canon, Nikon and Sony. I love it. Um, I think I just made the decision to switch to a primarily Sony system instead of a primarily Canon system. Okay. But I am literally all about what I need to use to get things done. Jarvi is a PC system that allows me to automate a lot of social media stuff that I would usually spend time on. Facebook postings, Pinterest postings, uh, LinkedIn postings, all of that stuff. We are all automating. I also use if this, then that a lot. Yeah. I use that a lot to make sure that I don't have to be as on, especially early in the morning. Um, I do a lot. I make all of that automated stuff happen early in the day because I'm busy parenting from five to eight thirty, nine o'clock. So, yeah. And I'm glad that you point that out too. I, I realized this recently because we've had a pretty busy season at Photographer's Edit and then launching Milu and I, there's been a lot going on. And I, I was... I was waking up, and, and this hasn't always been the case, but for a time there, I was waking up and just kind of jumping right into work, and it was exhausting. Within the span of yes. you know two, three weeks or whatever, I was just like, forget this. I, I have to go back to starting off the morning, you know, go to the gym, see my kids before they go to school, make exactly. lunch for my daughter, and and do some reading. Have I mean, it sounds so cliche, me time. I hate to I hesitate to even use the phrase, but just a, a chance to just be a human being before I'm back to responding to social media or back to responding to email or whatever it is that I do, just taking a more proactive approach, because I think it's just much, much better for us psychologically than, than just immediately jumping into to work. What do you think? Yeah, I absolutely agree. I'm literally um, switching. Like I used to live a life where I had two phone lines and I was like, oh, this is stupid. I'll just put everything on one phone line. Yeah, I got to go back. Like I have got to go back. I like my clients being able to contact me whenever they need, but I also need to be able to turn that phone off. Yeah. I am a, like, like we said earlier, I'm a servant based person. I'm a service based individual. And so when people ask me for things, I want to give them to them. I tell parents when they bring kids to my studio that uh, I am a no, no zone. I don't want to say no. Yeah. And so knowing that about myself, I need to control the times so that, I don't have to say no to my family to say yes to my clients. 
I want to be able to turn my business phone off from like from morning until like 930 in the morning after they've all gone and I've done everything I need to do for them. And then I can turn it off once I start picking kids up at two and then like give them their undivided attention until like dinner time and then be able to turn my phone back on and deal with my clients from like after dinner time to whenever it is that I go to bed. Ah, that's good. Like just, just those two particular things are enough to make the extra expense of an extra line worth it for me. Mm. Like just little things like that. I think that a lot of people get lost in trying to be successful, that they forget what success really looks like. I think that's a great way. That's a great summation. I mean, of course, we can go different directions with that conversation. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, also the assumption that success means always available 100% of the time, it's just simply a misnomer. And the reality is we tend to, and and I've been guilty of this too, we tend to build things up way bigger than they actually are in our our heads, assuming that that person absolutely has to have our response right this second or things are just going to blow up. And the reality is we're probably projecting on that and we can wait an hour, two hours or the next day or whatever it is before we get back to it. Nobody's going to die in the process and things will be okay. It will be okay. But I I do, Mm -hmm. I want to go back to something you said earlier, just briefly, which is that you, you think it's important to manage expectations proactively. You you said your family knows the month of October, things are going to be crazy. And I think just that simple proactive effort of managing expectations is so, so important as well. I mean, this holds true for your clients as well. Oh my, it's good for your clients. It's good for you. It's good for all kinds of relationships outside of work as Mm -hmm. well, that we're proactively managing expectations and, and ultimately communicating what we're expecting as well proactively. I think it's just so, so important. So I'm, I'm glad that you highlight that. Let me jump to the next question though. What's, what's one of the most important or significant, most impactful books, or uh, maybe a business book or self-help book, maybe a podcast even that you've listened to that's just made a really big impact on your life? I really enjoyed Start With Why was a major pivot for me. Yeah. Not just necessarily for business, but for myself personally. Mm. Being able to be honest with myself about what I was doing, why I wanted to do it. Turns out that photography isn't really my passion. People are. Sure. And photography is just a tool that I use to express my excitement and love for people yeah. in that way. Like yeah. it's just a tool and being able to be clear about that was something that I don't think that I would have gotten to if I hadn't read um, start with why. And then, Oh, after that was the book that built on that. That was like, I read it last year and it was like, like totally blew my mind. Oh, brand. Uh, oh, building oh. a story brand. Building a story brand, I think, is like the perfect one-two punch. Hundred percent. With with start with why. Yeah. I was like, whoa. And I think that um, how the world sees you was a great book. Interesting. Okay. Ironically, uh, a couple of parenting books I really loved. Unconditional Parenting had a lot of gems that kind of rolled into how I look at my business. Hmm. It's a parenting book that talks about relationship a lot, and I feel like whether your business is personal and relationship built or not it's still all business is is just relationship yeah and so um a lot of my work in becoming a more empathetic human being has made me a better business owner well that's that's really really good actually and i I can relate to that as well and then you mentioned that book how the world sees you is that uh by sally hogshead discover your highest value through the science of fascination that's that sounds really interesting it's a very good book 
All right, I'm going to have to make note of that. We'll link to all of these in the show notes. For those of you listening in, if you go to bocapodcast.com, you can see the show notes there. If you use a podcast player that has the show notes, you can click through um, the show notes uh, and the resources, the talking points from today's episode as well. Um, talk to me about your camera bag, Rakita. What's something besides a camera body or a lens or flash, maybe something unusual that enables you to be a better photographer? I am going to spill my big secret. Okay. I carry a, I wear a quarterback playbook. You know, the the little, if you if guys are going to know exactly what I'm talking about because they play football. It's the book that f- quarterbacks wear on their arm that has all the plays in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wear one of those to every wedding. I'm horrible at names. I'm horrible at remembering who important people are. Okay. And I feel like it's like if I could have three superpowers, one of them would be perfect memory so I could remember people's names. 100%, yes. Well, I've heard an NPR story about a guy who has perfect memory and it's a catch-22. So I would have perfect selective memory. Um, Fair, okay. <laughs> like I used to say that all the time and then I heard that NPR story and I was like, eh, maybe not. No, but I feel your pain because, and, and I think I, maybe we even talked about this at one point at the conference, but when I go to photography conferences, for example, I love to be able to pick conversations back up from the last time that I talked to somebody mm-hmm. to, yes. to connect with them and ultimately to make them feel like they actually I mattered. Yeah, yes, like they actually exactly. mattered to me. And if I somehow haven't remembered their name, it makes me, I just feel terrible because again, the last thing that I want them to think is that our conversation wasn't significant. Didn't matter. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh man, exactly. I feel your pain on that. So you yes. actually wear this playbook and you're able to just, so you've made notes in it I ahead listed of time? On the, on, the, on the front page of it, I list the bride and groom's names. Yeah. Their best men, their maid of honor, both parents, any specific, any specific family members that I've been told are important, great grandmas, um, and so forth. This is um, so the cool. Planner's name, yeah, and and like general stuff like that. Like, um, it's just a, and then on the inside, I normally, if we've done an engagement session, I make note of posing that we did that they really responded well to, okay, or that that they really liked. I make notes about how they pose. Like if he's really silly, I should be thinking silly prompts. If she is super romantic and quiet, then I need to be thinking romantic. Like I make notes about how I should be looking and thinking about their um, bridal portrait time. Sure. And then anything else that I feel like I want to be mindful of throughout the day. Wow. I pay the one that I do has like um, extra pages, like a standard one has um, like three like there's a page on the top and one on the inside and one that's close to your arm. I have one that like has like an extra flap in there. So I get like four extra pages. <laughs> Super cool. This is, so this is cool. awesome. Is there a particular brand that, that no, you use? No, it's, um, okay. I, I buy them on Amazon. They're like 12 bucks. Um, I meant, it's funny cause I bought a whole stack of them to give away at the cookout and totally forgot to pack them. Oh, so okay. like it is my, it is my secret weapon. Like when people second shoot with me, they go, oh crap, that's genius. I'm like, I know, right? <laughs> but seriously, <laughs> okay. this is this is literally one of the best things that I've had anybody share on the podcast to date. Yeah. I mean, that is really, really interesting idea. And it's yeah. quick access too. I mean, you could yeah, you could access. put it on your phone, but then you have to pull your phone out. Just being yeah. able to look down and, and glance at those notes, that's a that's yeah. a really cool idea. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure Haley will be able to find one on Amazon. We'll link to that in the show notes as oh, well. Absolutely. I'll um, send you a link to one. That's okay. Cool. That's really <laughs> great. Well, I want to transition to album sales here for a few minutes. You, I, I know that you're passionate about album sales. You alluded to that. I mean, your website talks about it. 
to the extent, actually, that you you wear a T-shirt at conferences that even talks about <laughs> albums. Will you tell the listeners what the T-shirt says? Oh, I have a couple, but the one you're talking about is it says "Wedding Albums Save Marriages." Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so expound on that too, if you will. I I firmly believe that the idea that that you can argue with your partner and fuss and fight and walk past your wedding album, just it being there. You don't even have to touch it, but just seeing it on a table or on a bookshelf or like seeing that book will remind you of the day when you've loved them the most. Hmm. Like I'd, I often joke to my brides that you'll use it on the days where you want to kill him or you will use it to kill him because it's a pretty blunt object. You can do some damage. <laughs> and quite heavy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> quite heavy. Like if we made this right, if we did this hundred page book right, it's a weapon. That's but funny. for the most part, you should be able to pick that up and remember where you started mm. and remember how you felt yeah. and how much you love them yeah. and how valuable, like and how much effort you put into starting it. Like a wedding is not a a little thing for the most part. Like even the smallest weddings take a lot of time and energy and effort and um, resources, like they are not to be sneezed at. And so I feel like we forget a lot of times how much energy and effort we put into starting with someone. Like a wedding is a beginning. It's the best beginning. It's my favorite beginning. Mm. So being able to put a pin in this moment and be able to say, and I love you more today than I did on this day. And mm. look at how much I loved you then. Mm. Where does, I mean, you already mentioned the significance of print versus digital. Are there are there any other underlying stories that drive your passion for album sales? So I feel like, particularly in black homes, grandparents um, used to put everybody on the wall. Yeah. I remember walking into my grandma's house and feeling super important hmm. um, because my picture was in an eight by 10 on the wall at my grandma's house. And she was looking for your new picture every year. Hmm. If you pop that frame, it would be, you know, your last eight school pictures would be underneath there. (laughs) Yeah, Like, you know, and don't let you do something special and get a special picture. She was putting that on like the mantle and she's putting it on a bookshelf. That's cool. And like, I, um, there's a scientific research paper that was written. It says that children who grow up in homes where their pictures are displayed have a higher sense of self-esteem and do better in school. And I firmly believe that. I feel like as a mom who prints, like I printed my, like everybody knows that, you know, you have a first kid and you print all the pictures and the pictures everywhere. Right. And then the second kid gets less pictures. You know that story? Like the second kid gets like a slight, they get slighted on the second time around because you've done it before. Yeah. My second daughter, she was like, she pulled me to the side when she was like four and was like, mommy, why come Cammy's pictures everywhere and mine isn't? Wow. And I was like, chin checked. I was like, oh, let me fix that little person. I printed 65 of my favorite p- images of her and we sat down and we framed them and we put them all over the house. Wow. Because she understood intrinsically that pictures of her sister meant that I loved her. Mm. Why weren't there pictures showing how much I loved her too? Wow. And so like my children are used to seeing large pictures of themselves Hmm. everywhere. People comment on the fact that my children have a very high sense of self-worth. They, that they clearly think well of themselves as they should. Their mom has 20 by thirties of them on the wall everywhere. Like 
they, they, we have paintings of our children. Wow. Like I don't, my, my appreciation of art does not stop at photography. My family has one, two, three, there are three images of our family painted on the wall behind me, 20 by 24s that were painted by a fantastic artist named Kababi. One of my children with their grandfather, one of my son and his dad and mm. my husband, and one of my husband and my oldest daughter's hand. Like, we believe in in every possible statement of love that you can make. And albums, I feel like they are the most compact yet overfilled way to do so. Mm. Like, um, when I was a kid, um, again, my grandma's house was where I felt the most loved and the safest place in the world. On holidays, she had a, a trunk that works as her dining room table. I mean, living room table. And on Christmas and Thanksgiving every year, that bad boy gets opened and it's full of like photo albums and loose prints of everybody in our family. It like if her house caught fire, that's what I would run in to get that trunk. Wow. It is literally our family's history. And every year my kids open that trunk and they ask us new questions mm. about different things that happened yeah. and different things that we have been through and who is this and where are they and why don't we see them or what happened to them and all these different stories they want to know. And they wouldn't have any other way to ask if those pictures didn't exist, if those albums didn't exist. Right. Where do they ask those questions? They're not jumping on my Facebook to scroll through and see who tagged me in something. Who tagged you in that? Who was that? Yeah. Damn, your kids don't even like Facebook. Yeah. Like they're not, they don't care anything about your Facebook. Like my Facebook only has value to me because I'm having it printed. Hmm. Literally. My kids will be able to look through my Facebook because it will exist as a physical book. That's it. And are you able to to communicate this even the first time that you sit down with a potential client? Like at what point in the sales process or the interaction with a client does this become a significant point of conversation? I feel like it starts at my website because like it's like the third thing you scroll down, you see it's an album. Yeah. I I don't show digital images in my studio. I only show albums. So I don't ever, I like, I don't pull, a, I don't turn on a TV or a screen wow. until we're talking about how proofs are delivered. Okay. But like the entire process of I'm getting married at this type of location. Oh, here's an album that shows that. Like, let's talk about the story of the day. Tell me what you, what you dream about for your wedding. This wedding is close. Let's use that as, as to show you what we do for a wedding that feels like yours, like you want it to feel. You're into romance. Let me pull this romantic album out. You're into fun and party. This is the party album. Like you got married at a winery. This is the winery album. Like that's cool. We we don't do like digital unless there's something specific that I want to show that I didn't have in a printed album. And even if I pull up a digital screen, I'm pulling up a digital version of the album. Okay. Shout out Fundy's album proofer. Yes. I'm going to pull up a digital version of the album. I'm still not pulling up a gallery. I'm still going to pull up an album. Interesting. Like, I, I want them to always be thinking about the end game. Okay. Like, for me, the end game isn't the wedding day. The end game is putting your finishing the job. Like for me, I'm finished when I've given you something to hold. Yeah. Yeah. Do you use a particular brand of album? I mean, as much emphasis as you put on albums, have you just really dialed it in and figured out the best possible company that you could use? Um, I do and I don't. I love Graphy Studios. I love their books. I also love Flora Color. Okay. I use them 
quite a bit. And I really love Miller's. When we start talking about talking to clients, price plays a role in, in what album that I'm talking to them about. Right. And the, and the theme of their wedding and like what their dream looks like. To your earlier point, though, you, you ultimately use what works. And, and I like that you kind of keep it flexible, mm-hmm. pick the best option for the client at the time. Uh, it fits their their situation, their wedding the, the most effectively. I, I like that thought process because I understand the idea of focusing on one brand, but then ultimately it could be limiting as well. So I like the flexibility innate to, to your approach. My goal is always to do the very best that I can for my clients and every, at every opportunity. And so anything that I can do to make their um, experience as stressless as possible, um, we try to do. Yeah. Well, I, I like how you think just in general. I mean, so much of this conversation has been just so refreshing. And to that point, I I have a hunch that you think a little bit differently when it comes to album sales and approach to album sales. I know you mentioned to me that you had a couple of thoughts on this uh, before we started recording. What are what are a couple of ways that you approach album sales differently than the average photographer? I know um, that pre-design and starting with a, a book is like the big thing right now and it, as it should be it absolutely should be but i feel like um a lot of people don't give enough weight to the active process of being like with a tool like fundy um which is what i use for album design yeah when you are able to sit down with them and be able to literally custom build it real time with them right then i feel like it gives clients um a more vast ownership okay of their story and the process of creating their book we talk a lot about the things when like when we're sitting down with clients we talk a lot about their favorite moments and the things that they remember about their wedding and the things that they don't and having those conversations with them only happens when we're going through their gallery like we start and show people their wedding album, like how I envision their day. And it's always, I'm, I'm a hopeless romantic. I'd love a wedding. It's always too long. Like, um, I think the biggest album that I can sell through graphy through a standard album is like 110 pages. Yeah. And I don't think this year I've shown a lot, an album with less than 140 in it. Wow. So we know we're going to have to trim it down to keep it into one album or we're going to have to think about two volumes, like however that's going to work. But going through the gallery with clients and literally doing it without them really being mindful and picking their favorites as they're talking and then being able to pull those into Fundy and go, okay, so I heard, we, we've gone through your gallery and I heard what you said about these images being your favorites. Let's adjust your design mm. to include these, um, these moments that you really love. Okay. Like, And it's always just like little tweaks. Like you had that moment in the album. You just didn't have the right moment in the sequence. Does that make sense? Yeah, it it does. And But this is really interesting, though, that you are taking the approach of designing it in person with them because uh, most photographers, as you alluded to, that this happens remotely online somewhere and then they just send them a link and then, you know, approve it or disapprove it. Or if you want changes, make notes. It's a very, oh, no. very impersonal process. You, you make it very personal. And I think yeah. that's interesting. We want it to be a very hands-on process. We want them to feel like they are super involved. If they are not in town, we're doing that through a zoom call. Okay. We're going to video call it up. I'm going to share my screen with them 
And we're going to go through it page by page and go right through and make sure that it's exactly the book that they want. I am like, as I said, I'm, I got three kids. I've got to run the business. I've got to be the wife. I've got to be the mom and daughter. I don't have time to go back multiple times over a particular client unless it's absolutely necessary. The vast majority of things, if I, you tell them to put aside two to three hours and you can knock that out in one night, we can normally knock that out in one night. Yeah. Well, I, I, I know that it's quite an investment in the relationship with them. Do you find that there is a significant difference in the final sale as well uh, compared to doing it remotely? Have you done it both ways? Have you noticed a difference? I've done it both ways and I didn't start hitting the numbers I wanted to hit until I took um, the more personal approach. Wow. Being able to, I know in-person sales is stressful for a lot of people. It causes anxiety, but there has to be a way to involve people in a way that works for everybody's personal needs as far as the stress of actually doing in-person sales. Sure. It, it is an investment. I know it is. It's, it's a time investment. It's a energy investment. Uh, as a person who's empathetic, I understand the transference of energy and being around people and like sucking up how people feel and, and going back into the world and having to deal with that. Mm. I get all of those arguments. But to I like and I've had people tell me, well, I'm able to get upgrades on albums just by sending the link over. And I'm like, but what if you could double that? Yeah. Like what if you could just work less. Yep. Like I know the idea of spending two to three hours in a meeting sounds um, crazy to some people, but the truth of the matter is I only have, like I have four of these coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, maybe next two weeks, I've got four client meetings where I'm probably going to spend two or three hours with them. But those meetings will keep me from having to take on four additional weddings. Like, like literally, if the upsell is if if the average wedding investment is two thousand dollars and my upsell is two thousand dollars, that's one less wedding that I have to book. Right, and you only spend an additional two or three hours, and instead of the forty hours you spend on a whole wedding client. Right, and you further strengthen the relationship with that client, which likely means a higher chance of referral as well. You're just kind of upping the ante with the experience you're providing exactly. them. Yeah, that's exactly. that's really good. Okay, so the the first thing, this first big idea, then is to actually take the time to design the album in person. What's the second idea? You have to believe it. Hmm. Most people um, get so in their own way because they don't believe in print. They don't believe their clients will buy it. They don't believe that, like, they don't print their own work. Like, the biggest thing about the cookout for me was getting people into the mindset that your prints matter. Hmm. Like, not even just your work as a photographer, your work as a human in your life. Are you printing your work? Are you used to seeing your family's images printed? Can you, do you see the value for yourself before you can see it for your clients? Hmm. And most people don't. Photography can quickly become a job job. Yeah. Like, it, like when I was in college, I went back to school, to culinary school. In my book, in my journey to become a photographer, I went to culinary school for two years. Wow. Okay. And my favorite professor pulled me to the side. He was like, you are like, 
even your homework is exceptional. Like explain to me what the purpose is. And I was like, well, I love cooking and I want to open a restaurant. I wanted to open a bakery. And he was like, let me explain to you what that looks like in real life. And he broke down like the hours are horrible for bakers. Like you have to go in at three in the morning. You will never see your kids again. Like all of like, he literally broke it all the way down. And I was like, wow. He said, what I want you to do is go home and think about whether or not this is something that you're okay with becoming a job that you will stop doing because you love it and start doing it because it's your job. And if you're okay with that, take the next course. Hmm. I dropped out that semester. Wow. Because cooking is a love language for me. It is literally something that I do, that I literally push all of the emotion that I feel for the people that I'm cooking for Mm. in that moment. I want you to taste how much I love you. Wow. And so knowing that about who I am, knowing how I move into the way that I give myself, I I chose photography because I was okay if it became a job at times. That if sometimes... I need to just shoot it and be done. That can be okay. So if I can be okay with that, then being and, and being able to push through the other side of that is that the space where I show you that I love you is in what we create out of it. The way that I show my clients that I that I want them to care is in what we create. I want you to leave with something. Like the way my studio is set up, it's designed. You can't like you have to abandon money to leave without a print period. Like you have to decide that like, say you hire me for a 30 set, 30 minute family session. That family session is $300 for 30 minutes. Okay. I'm going to give you a $300 studio credit that you can spend on prints and everything you buy a print of, you get a digital copy of. I understand that digital is still important to people, but print is important to me. Hmm. So for the same price that I would sell your digital file for, you get a print. Anything smaller than an eight by 10 for you to decide not to print something. You have to actively say, I do not want the money. I am going to leave $300 on the table. And who does that? Nobody. Right. It's set. My, my world is set to emphasize this physical statement of empathy, of affection, of love. Hmm. I want you to love your people out loud. I want you to. I want your kids to be like, my mom loved this session so much. She put a 10 by 15 framed on the wall. Yeah. I want you to want it. I, I, I had just, first of all, I had high expectations for our conversation, Rikita, but you've, you've blown those away and, and your perspective on, I mean, life and business and photography and then selling albums. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just really refreshing and you have this, this calm and, and wisdom about you that's inspiring as well. So I, I, I really can't thank you enough. I mean, all this has just been really, really a great conversation. And I think we may have to do another podcast episode at some point. This has been too good. But oh, sure. I, I appreciate you making time to do this today. And, and maybe we can just close uh, for now. If you'll share one more time with our listeners where they can find you online, uh, social media, your website, so they can continue to follow what you're doing. That would be great. I'm everywhere as Pinksit Photo, P-I-N-X-I-T Photo. Yeah. Um, I'm also everywhere as Rakita or The Rakita, literally everywhere. I encourage people to follow me personally. My Facebook is a um, is a wondrous land of 
sarcasm and joy. So <laughs> please feel free to follow along. I'm at my friend Cap. So you just have to follow. Unfortunately, I can't accept any more friend requests at this point. Yeah. But please feel free. I'm on on the Twitters, not as much as I used to be, but I, I do get on Twitter once or twice a day. It's it, I, I am happy to be everywhere and nowhere all at the same time. <laughs> I, I do love on your Facebook profile, it says Facebook policy, appropriate candor and mutual respect. Um, yeah. I think that beautifully sums sums up your approach to conversation. And speaking of it, again, I just have to thank you for making time for the podcast. This oh, has been anytime. absolutely wonderful. And for everybody listening in, make sure you go to the show notes, bocapodcast.com or in your podcast player and, um, and go to the links, the resources that we discussed today. You can see the talking points as well. Uh, we'll make sure to put all of that. Thanks to Haley for producing the show and keeping track of all that information for all of us. Have an absolutely wonderful day. You too. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for listening to the Boca Podcast. Will you let us know what you thought by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit Milu, M-I-I-L-U dot com. This podcast is also brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit photographersedit.com. <laughs>